Blog Talk Radio. Association of Adult Survivors of Child Abuse. And my name is Kim, and I'm your host this evening. And I have um, a survivor professional on with us this evening, Sherry White. So I'll introduce her here in a minute. But we are on scan number 3357 on this 16th day of January. I don't know how it got that late in the year already. But um, I'm excited to introduce you to her here in a minute. I know she's been on many times. Um, we have a single purpose at NASCA, and that is to address issues related to childhood abuse and trauma, including sexual assault, violent or physical abuse, emotional traumas, and neglect, and we do so with two goals. One, by educating the public, especially as it's related to helping society get over its taboo of discussing childhood sexual abuse, also known as CSA, presenting facts showing child abuse to be a pandemic, worldwide problem that affects everyone, and two, by offering hope and healing through numerous paths and providing many services to adult survivors of child abuse. And um, information for anyone that's interested in the many issues involving prevention, intervention, and recovery. And again, we are on scan number 335 this evening, and if you would like to be a part of our panel, I'd love to have you call in and be a part of it. That number is 646-595-2118, and I will meet you and bring you on into the studio. So um, again, that's 646-595-2118. We'd love to have you with us. So tonight, our um, survivor professional is Sherry White from Covington, Tennessee. She is an anti-bullying advocate and author of three books who uses her own story of being bullied and gaslighted to help those enduring the same abuse today. In sixth grade, she began a long lesson in the human predator prey dynamic and a battle for her dignity, safety, and soul. At first, she took the physical beatings, name-calling and abuse. Sherry was a victim of what was called polyvictimization. In just six months, she went from being a kid who always 
made the honor roll to an angry and bitter girl who made only C's and D's. Who could concentrate on schoolwork, she asked. Sherry attempted suicide at the age of 14, and because she felt powerless, she began to bully those who were weaker than her. So um, I'm going to go ahead and I believe this is Sherry. Let me see if this is Sherry on the line here. And um, so I'm opening up the line, 731. Is this Sherry I'm talking with? Yes. <laughs> Hi, yes, Sherry. This is me. <laughs> Welcome. We're glad you're here again. Thank you for having me. I'm glad to be here. Yeah, well, so I just introduced you a little bit. Is there anything else you wanted to say before you get started? I know you have a topic, and we'll just kind of let you run with it. It'll you know, be your show, and I'll just be your backup tonight. Okay, thank you so much, okay. Kim. Um, mm-hmm. I was go- My topic is going to be gaslighting and what you can do to kind of bypass the gaslighting. Uh, you know, bullies gaslight you when you try to, when you defend yourself or speak out. I mean, gaslighting is their go-to, and uh, and there's different types of gaslighting. There's guilt trips. There's um, there's there's victim blaming. There's you know all kinds of gaslighting that they'll basically tell you that. Uh, that you're a bad person, that, that, you know, it's your fault, that you bring everything, all of the abuse on yourself, which which we know is not true. But if we're not careful, it can really, that can really wreak havoc on our self-esteem. And uh, I went through it, I went through it for years when I was young, and uh, especially in school when I was bullied. And I would defend myself I would speak out against it, and then I would be instantly gaslighted by the rest of my classmates and a, a few school staff. So, uh, and you know, most of my family—I mean, my parents—they tried to to uh, do something about the bullying, but at the end of the day, uh, back then, uh, most of them. Uh, most of the school staff who were adults basically blamed me. And back then, you took the word of an adult over a child. So, you know, after so long of that, you know, not even my family would listen to me. Uh, the only people in my family that really uh, listened to me in the end were my grandmother and my aunt. And so... I decided to write everything down in journals. If I couldn't talk about it, then I was going to write about it. So I kept a daily journal of the bullying and wrote about wrote it down in, in grave detail. And uh, I think writing about it is really what saved me. You know, everybody says that who's in recovery, it's, it's a a practice that is really good to do that I don't use as much. But <laughs> yeah. right. I'm sorry you went through and all that. that. And, well, thank you so much. But writing about it, it's best to write about it and keep a record of it because uh, not only can it, uh, it, not only is it therapeutic for you, 
but it also is admissible in court if you have to go the legal route. Uh, not only that, but uh, it, uh, it it makes writing about it. It's it's when you write about it, it's easier to explain it in a clear and concise. Because when you talk, as opposed to talking about it, if you talk about it, sometimes you're so emotional you have a tendency to ramble. But when you write about it, you know you don't have to worry about write, uh, rambling. You can you can organize it in a way that is clearer and makes better sense. And so that's why a journal or a diary of it is admissible in court. Yes, I've heard that before, too. Excuse me. I've got a bit of a winter oh, cold. Okay. Oh, uh, darn. No. The, uh, uh, we've been in the single digits and teens for the last few days. The winter storm came through, and and basically we are just in a deep freeze right now. <laughs> So I'm with anyway, you. My, I'm right there with you. <laughs> my my sinuses are really letting me know it. So if I sneeze oh. or cough, just overlook it. Yeah, no, but, uh, we understand <laughs> that time of year. Right? Is there any? If what? Let me ask you a question. What happened to Annie and Victoria? Oh. Well, they're still around. We are um, just doing a few different things right now, trying to kind of reorganize NASCA is what we're doing. So right now we're just doing three days a week, and we're just altering between all of us for those three days, where before I was mostly on Monday nights with Penelope, and, and then Annie and Victoria were always on too. But they're still around, and if you you know have a preference, I would be happy to you know, give them to you when you are on as well. So I just, yeah, oh, there's no, nothing no. really, no reason. But <laughs> No, I was just curious. I was just sure. curious and just yeah. wanted to make sure. What, but uh, to, yeah. I think the gaslighting, uh, we were talking about gaslighting a while ago. Uh, basically, gaslighting is just, basically re-victimizing you all over again. Of course, you know, I really don't like the word victim. I like the word target better because a victim is helpless. A victim can't do anything about their situation. A target, on the other hand, is a fighter. They can, they speak out, they, they, you know, take steps to better their situation where a victim is just completely and utterly powerless. So I prefer now, the word target. Can, yeah, I mean, you I, might. I think that's a great word, too. <laughs> can uh, I ask you a question about that real quick? Sure. Um, so, sure. yeah, because I think that you start off kind of as a victim, especially if you don't know how to deal with it. I mean, do you agree with that? You're kind of yeah. powerless and wondering what's going on and, you know, just 
kind of powerless at that point. And then you figure it out and how to stand up for yourself. Because I've been through many of those as well, unfortunately. Um, and I live with, I've lived with one for 35 years. So <laughs> narcissist. But um, yeah, oh and so I, I know that there are times that I, you know, I do feel that I am kind of a victim. And it's in that moment of not being able to come back. I think a lot of times I it takes me longer to process things, and so I'm not a quick comeback type person. Right. And, um, so yeah, that's kind of that's kind of where I thought yeah. when you when you said that. I think you start that way, and then you become you know the target, and you're going to fight back. <laughs> I'll be quiet. Right, because you get fed up. I, I I basically started out the same way. I didn't understand what was happening to me, but uh, you know, as I got older. I was I was able to to fight back and uh, uh, granted a lot of time most most incidents incidences it got me in even worse trouble and bullied worse. However, I still you know I I still fought back because to to do nothing was just I, I felt like I was letting myself down. And I felt like that uh, the only way that uh, basically letting myself down was worse than being punished for it. So I, yeah, I thought I, I figured it, I figured it was worth the punishment. Yeah. Or the punishment yeah, I know. was worth. You understand where I'm coming from. Yeah, I'm not saying anything really does make it worse because you're going to continue to experience it. There's nothing going to change. Right. You're Right, because right. you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. That That's the nature <laughs> yeah. of bullying. You're, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. So, you know, not saying anything about it, it's not going to do any good. So you might as well open your mouth because... You know, it's not going to change. However, you will feel better about yourself after you open your mouth. Granted, you might pay for it, but you're still going to feel better about yourself than you would have had you not said anything or done anything about it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Would you mind if we brought um, Philip on? Philip's on with us this evening, and he has a, a guest with him as well. So they've been listening, but you mind if we bring them on and see if they have any questions or anything? Sure, go right ahead. Hello. Okay, Philip, you're on. Hello, Philip. How are you guys? Good. We're doing great. How are you? Better than I used to be. That's, that's awesome. awesome. Better I like than you that. used to be, because that's um, progress. I've been, I've been journaling before. And I'm not sure if it really helps me or not. Is this, is this something you have to stick with to know it's benefit? Well, you, you're able, when you journal, you are able to get it out. You know, you might not get it out by talking about it, but you can get it, get it out by putting it out on paper. You know, it's very, journaling is very therapeutic, and it's very uh, cathartic. It makes you feel a lot better because you're getting all that, that toxicity out. And you are in writing through your writing. You are speaking out about what people are putting you through, and that's very important. You're not keeping it inside. 
Oh, okay, I understand. And, uh, you know, as as you, uh, you know, I, I journaled for years, and by the time I got out of school, I had a, a truckload of journals that I put back. And then when I got ready to write my book, From Victim to Victor, a survivor's true story of her experiences with school bullying, I, 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 I got out all those journals and I wrote the book in a chronological event of all that had happened to me in school. And so those journals, you know, I had kept put away for decades because I knew that one day I was going to write a book about it. And when I felt it was time to write the book, I got out all those journals and I wove them together to create that memoir. And then I published it. Nice. Can you buy your book on Amazon too, Sherry? Yes, you can. You can. I also have... Uh, four more fictions that have a, have a, a bullying in the plot. Uh, my my uh, second book, which is my first fiction, is Townies, Cronies, and Hayseeds. Uh, my second fiction, my which is my third published book, is The Vow of Chastity Baker. My fourth fiction, I mean third fiction, which is my fourth book, is kids under the latch key and then my fifth my fifth book and fourth fiction is townies cronies and hayseeds too oh another uh townies cronies and hayseeds too i just published it's not yet available on amazon but it should be in about three months and it's counties or yeah, counties, cronies, and what? What's the last word? Counties, counties, cronies, and hayseeds. And hayseeds. What does that and mean? Ha- Can you explain? Because it sounds southern. <laughs> well, it is. <laughs> it is. It, it's uh, <laughs> yeah. basically the. It, it's uh, about cliques in in these small towns. Oh, okay. And, you know, every, these small towns have cliques, and these cliques tend to make yeah. it hard on everybody else, especially if if they have a, t- a couple of targets. They they tend to make it. Yeah. The the cliques in the the cliques in the towns are certain families, you know, certain family names, certain bloodlines, and they they tend to have targets that they make life a living hell for. Yeah, if you're not the popular one or on the football team or something, then you get targeted, kind of. Yeah, exactly. They pick on if your father. <laughs> if your father is not a politician, a politician or a big name police officer or um, a popular teacher, you know, or on the school board in in the in the town government. You know, stuff like that. So that's what Townies, Cronies, and Hayseeds is is centered on. Okay. And there, yeah. there's, a, there's a Townies, Cronies, and Hayseeds, and then there's a Townies, Cronies, and Hayseeds 2, which is a sequel to the first one. 
I'm okay. I'm also writing in the process of writing the third sequel, which I won't I won't publish until sometime next year. But I'm I'm writing a third sequel. Okay. So I'm going to make that a series. Oh, okay. Uh, I'm also I'm also writing a sequel to The Vow of Chastity Baker, which will be entitled The Second Vow of Chastity Baker. And who is Chastity Baker? Is that somebody Chastity. that was in your life? Uh, no, actually, she's a fictional character. And I wrote this. Uh, I wrote this, uh, I, I first wrote this book on a typewriter uh, 30 year, uh, 32 years ago when I was pregnant with my second child. And then uh, a few years back, I took it and kind of revamped it, updated it. Okay. Uh, she is a fictional character. Uh, she she is a she starts out as a young teenage prostitute, and she gets arrested mm. and thrown in jail, and decides that she's going to turn her life around. She's going to get a real job, uh, go to college, get an education, and so as she is as she gets her first job and goes through school, p uh her past gets out and she suffers a lot of bullying over that. She suffers a lot of bullying. There were a lot of people that uh, try to hinder her progress. Which people like to do when you're making progress if they're narcissistic or even just actually teenage children. (laughs) Right. And, uh, you know, she starts out as a 17-year-old prostitute, and uh, she gets arrested. And, you know, when she when she turns 18, she decides she's going to better her life. And uh, as, she, as she takes the steps to do so, there's always, there are always bullies that br- throw, uh, bring her past back up and throw it in her face and try to hinder her progress. But, you know, she wins in the end. I don't want to divulge too much of the plot because I I don't want to spoil the book. Sure. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to I'll have to read it. Um thank you. No, I think yeah, I know those that's awesome. You have done a lot. I didn't realize that you'd written so many books and that you are still on it. Has that always been one of your passions is to also it get is. It, books out, it, yeah, it has. It, it's always been my passion yes. uh, because I've been writing stories ever since I was ten. However, you know, bullying when I was being bullied from age twelve until I left uh, and went to a new school during my senior year, I kept journals, and so I thought that one day I was going to treat that, uh, make a story out of that, a memoir. So writing saved me. So I I feel like that, uh, you know, that's the thing I really love to do. That's awesome. Yeah, I'll have to get, start 
reading your books as well. Um, I have a little story. Can I share a little bit about my experience with kind of bullying and um, in school, elementary oh, school? Oh, yes. Kind of go, go right ahead. Go, feel yeah, free I, um, <laughs> yeah, I experienced the same. Uh, I experienced a lot of bullying. I, um, I'm not, I, and I think a lot of it came because I was so insecure and I was being abused at home as well. And so I had Why? this insecurity about me. And I, I know that there were certain people within the school that would pick on me. And there were even times that I would walk to school, which was a long place. I'd never let my kids walk that far today, you know, when, well, when they were, when I was raising them, I never let them walk that far. And our school was in the same neighborhood. But, um, but yeah, so, and they would, these bullies would follow me all the way to school and all the way home. And like, if I was riding my bike, they'd be kicking my tires. They'd be, you know, trying to throw my bags down. And I mean, just a lot oh of what bullies do. I mean, it was not fun. And I also then would go home to that, to that bullying as well. Why? Um, yeah. So it wasn't, I didn't really have a rest from it. So I think that again, you know, going back to the victim or whatever, I didn't really have an out until I started going Why? to Sunday school. And then, and then when I was in Sunday school, I felt like that was my out. That was my, my safe place. But um, that there was, awesome. a, yeah, one girl awesome um, that you found that you found somewhere to go, where you could be safe from that, even if it was yeah. just you know an hour or two every week, every Sunday, right. and an hour every Wednesday, you still found you know, a little bit of a reprieve. Yeah, absolutely. And I, you know, I remember, and we were sent, I was sent to Sunday school with my aunt on a bus because there was a bus that was going around picking kids up back then, (laughs) which I tried to do in my church. And of course, there's a lot more logistics that have to happen now, nowadays. But um, they used to come pick us up at our house and take us to church and Sunday school. And I just remember not so much everything that was taught, but the love that was taught, I think, and just feeling like it was a safe place, like I said. And I think that um, it it really hurts my heart a lot when I hear that that wasn't a safe place for, our, you know, a lot of kids, too. So because I Why? really cherish that in my life. But, um, yeah, so that's kind of – and then, well, I was going to say then – one of the girls that bullied me for several years, by the time we were in sixth grade, um, we became friends. And it was the worst thing. <laughs> then we started skipping school together and, and laying out in the sun. So <laughs> we didn't necessarily do anything good. But, um, but it was kind of strange how that happened. And I think that a, a lot of times, you know, again, kids, or like you did, like you said you did, will turn around and bully another person just because they're getting it on another end and they need to have some kind of power or... Right, right. You know, I hate to say it, but I did that too for a while in high school because I felt powerless. 
I would bully kids I perceived to be weaker than me just to, you know, take back some of that power that had been taken from me. And it wasn't it wasn't the right way to handle it. You know, it, naturally, if I knew then what I knew now, I would have made friends with these with the other targets of bullying. But you know, being a teenager who was already in the thick of it, you know, I really didn't think about that at the time. Yeah. Or things probably to tell your parents, you know, that something was going on so you could get their support. I mean, I think I remember just feeling a lot of shame all the time of, you maybe I'm letting that happen or something. (laughs) Right. Well, you know what? I felt that same kind of shame. But, you know, bullying, it's a form of abuse. And whether it's, uh, you know, uh, being a battered wife or being bullied at school, or even being raped, you know, with any form of abuse, there's always a degree of shame that you feel. Um, yeah. You know, sometimes you feel that, that you deserved it, that you're doing something but that you don't know you're doing that's wrong. And sometimes you feel like that you're such a wimp because you, don't, you feel like a, a powerless wimp because you don't f- fight back. I felt like yeah. both, you know, at certain times, you know, or I also felt that me speaking out about it and me fighting back, I wasn't doing enough to protect myself. So there there was another kind of blame, self-blame. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're, kids are good at that. I mean, there's just no way, unless you are having a, an adult tell you everything that's going on in that specific circle circumstance how can we not think you know that that's not you know that's that's my fault somehow I did something wrong to make that happen right right so there's a lot of you know bullying comes with a lot of shame it comes with a lot of of self-blame self-doubt and uh it's just that's why it's so damaging because it can really wreck your self-esteem. So you know you you resort to doing not so good things to try to hold on to what self-esteem you have left and to keep it from completely tanking. I just left school after a while because I. You know, I couldn't handle that, but I was, and I was rebellious and I didn't have that direction. You know, I didn't have anybody telling me that's not. Well, you know, being abused, like you, being abused at home and being abused at school will make you rebellious, you know. And, you know, there was a lot of kids that dropped out. There were a few kids that actually dropped out because they were being bullied. Uh, Me, I changed schools. You know, I got married, you know, during my senior year and was pregnant with my first child. And after, you know, being thrown over a teacher's desk at four months pregnant, I I left the school and I went to a new school. So I was able to graduate. 
and I fought tooth and nail to graduate. But the uh, the new school was my out, and when and when I moved to the new school, it was like a complete one eighty change degree change. Uh, I didn't get bullied at the new school. I was accepted. You know, I even got to join a club or two, and you know, everything was was just it was it felt like a different world. But when I went after I left, I was still carrying a lot of baggage from being bullied at the old school. I mean, nobody knew about it. You know, it it was it was very private, but uh I was carrying a lot of baggage and it took me a few years to kind of unload all that. Sure. Absolutely. Should we um see if Philip has anything he wants to add now at this time or or your friend, Philip? <laughs> you guys have anything to say? Um, well, actually, I don't have a friend that's with me. I was just impersonating somebody oh, okay. with my voice. Oh, you were? Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> you're funny. Oh, <laughs> you're funny. <laughs> I've been bullied before. Okay. Well, you know, I think that's an effect. I think that's an effect of bullying and abuse too. Sometimes. You know, when you're bullied so badly, sometimes you don't want even want to be you. You want to be somebody else. So I, I think that's a an effect. That's a response to bullying and abuse. I mean, it's it's not that uncommon. Oh, I never heard of that before. Is that called the? But is that called the imposter syndrome? Uh, well. No, I th- the imposter syndrome is basically that that's for famous people you know that have a lot of uh fans sometimes uh they feel guilty because they feel like that um that they feel fake and it, again that's famous people that have been abused and bullied sometimes when they get famous and they have a lot of fans uh, of course, they have a lot of haters too, and sometimes it can install a sense of, well, shoot, am I being myself or am I being fake? I mean, that's that's when a lot of them question themselves. That's imposter syndrome. I think what you're doing is imposter syndrome. I don't know what that's called, actually. It was just like a funny little prank. Just trying to have fun, I guess. Hey, sometimes sometimes uh, people handle it through pranks and jokes. I mean, it, it depends on the person. I had a friend that would do a lot of pranks with me, and uh, yeah, maybe maybe like that was something that he was struggling with. Very well, could be. Very well, could be, Philip. You know, different people handle. Being a, different targets handle being bullied and abused different ways. Some resort to comedy jokes and and being funny, and some of them resort to anger. Some of them resort to depression. Some of them resort to writing or you know diving into their talents. 
like writing and singing. I also sang too. So, and a lot of them resort to diving into academics. You know, they want to compensate for the low social status, so they start making exceptional grades in order to compensate for their low social status. They'll be like, well, if I can't win socially, then then I'll win academically. Granted, I didn't do that. You know, I uh, my grades plummeted because I, I was having to focus too much on uh, being uh, on trying to keep myself safe more than uh, my studies. So at school, oh, I think we lost. You're kind of going in and out there, Sherry. Oh, pardon me. My, I live in a oh. rural area, so, you know, okay. our signal's not very well. Our I'm signal's go not out. real good. Oh, okay. <laughs> so yeah, I, I live make in sure a I didn't rural lose area. <laughs> Do ya? Oh, oh, okay. Thank you. Um, Just let me know when, <laughs> when, my, when I start breaking up, and I'll try to move okay. to a different part of the room to get a better signal. Okay, perfect. You know, I was going to say you're talk- when you're talking about imposter syndrome, I think to some degree, and this could be maybe what Philip was kind of talking about as well, is for me, I feel like I was very lucky and blessed to marry somebody who took, you know, took good care of me and our children. Yeah. And um, right. even though he's a narcissist and, um, and, and toxic, but um, I felt, because we moved to a really nice, we got a really good deal on a house that, you know, needed some fix up on it. And we moved to a really nice neighborhood. And today, I mean, there's, there's a million dollar houses selling in our neighborhood. But I know that there were times when I was raising my children that I felt kind of like an imposter in my neighborhood. I thought, how could somebody like me from, you know, the poorest part of Littleton, Colorado, <laughs> um, who, you know, was abused and bullied and everything, you know, why am I here? And, and do I belong here? And, you know, I, I know that I threw myself into doing things with my kids. I wanted to be wherever my children were. And, of course, and then I took them to church as well because I didn't want to just send them to church. So um, I was everywhere they were, but I still kind of felt at times that I was just an imposter in my, in my neighborhood, in my situation that I was in. And I think probably not also having any kind of, um, it, you know, he's never been very, like, encouraging, I guess. Maybe that's what I'm trying to say. He's not, he's never been overly encouraging and, or supportive or, you know, so I never uh-huh. built kind of that. I never built that up and, and I, I did. I felt like I was an imposter. And, and today I definitely feel, <laughs> I still feel like I'm an imposter. I'm like million dollar houses. I don't, yeah, I don't think so. I don't know how I got here. <laughs> well, but, you're not yeah. an imposter. I think you just got, I, I think you were just extremely blessed. And uh, it's kind of like it's kind of like 
a a big uh, overweight person who loses weight, uh, it's a psychological thing, I think. When you're used to living a not-so-good lifestyle and then all of a sudden you move to, you you know, you get a a higher lifestyle, it can be, you know, you still... I guess you would feel like an imposter because you're used to living a poor lifestyle. And then when you move up in the world, (laughs) I always attributed that to the devil trying to make you feel bad. Because the devil doesn't want any of us to to move up from poverty and stuff. And when you do, the, the devil will put thoughts in your head, that those kind of thoughts in your head. But you yeah. got to remember that the devil is a liar and there's no truth in him. Amen. And uh, keep that in mind and, you know, those thoughts won't plague you as much. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I'm ready to get out of this neighborhood because I do feel it. <laughs> it's time to move on. I've been here 28 years. But um, it's been a beautiful neighborhood. And I was, like you said, I was very blessed to be able to be in here in this neighborhood and raise my kids, you know, all in one home. And right. So, you know, now I've got, yeah. Well, you know, you know, when I, when I, during the years that I published my first three books, I kind of felt like an imposter because of being an author and all and, you know, having readers, you know, actually like and read my book. But, uh, you know, then I thought about the devil and what he was, the thoughts he was putting into my mind, and that just made it disappear. So I don't feel like that anymore. Yeah. I can can relate to that as well. I have not written my own book, but I've been in two books and um, kind of that same thought of, I'm not really an author. I've just been in a couple books, but you know, the people that I'm in the books with are all authors. So why wouldn't I be? <laughs> yeah. So game right. you play with yourself. <laughs> I am also doing public speaking now. Uh, last, last Tuesday, I got invited to uh, a middle school to speak on writing. It, they were having a writer's conference there and I got invited to speak and uh, I enjoyed it so much. Good. They had kids there that, that liked to write, and they had a couple of teachers there that, that liked to write. And, uh, you know, I told my story of how I got into writing, and, you know, they, re- they really received it very well. And uh, now I, I'd like to – I've also spoken at an anti-bullying event in Texas uh, a few years back. So I'm going to put public speaking on my uh, on my little resume. <laughs> yeah, that's great. Hey, I don't and know I'd if like you um, are familiar with MOPS. Are you, are you familiar with MOPS, Mothers of Preschooler? Have you ever heard of it? Uh, no, I haven't. No, no. Um, because no. they have a, like a, it's called a speaker showcase and they will put you on their list of speakers 
in your area. And then if like one of the moms of preschoolers group, so it's a, you know, it's a, um, a group, <laughs> a group of parents who get together a couple of times a month and, um, you know, they do crafts and I did it several times when my kids were little and I even was a, a mentor mom when my granddaughter was born because I was watching her full time. And so I went to mom's groups and I, um, you know, just kind of, I was a part of it. But um, for the last few years, I have been on their list of speakers. And so they call me if they have somebody and I'm going in April, kind of setting up my April schedule of child abuse awareness. Um, yeah. And I'm going to go speak to a group of, of moms. The moms groups are usually in like churches is where they usually yeah. are. It's kind of, it's got a Christian kind of um, curriculum to it. So, and then the, yeah, of course they have babysitters for the kids so that you as a mom can enjoy maybe some devotions and then you can do a craft or something and, you know, just enjoy your time. So that's an idea of if you're going to start speaking, yeah, just reach out maybe. It's M-O-P-S and you can find them online too. And, okay. and find okay. where you're I can definitely, I can definitely check into that. Uh, I'm also yeah. planning to speak at uh, universities at some point, colleges and universities. That's good. You know, yeah. Awesome. Eventually, I'd like to do that and make a living at it. Sure. Do speaking engagements and 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 TED uh, TED talks and stuff like that. Yeah. Have you done one of those? uh, I've done done four public speaking engagements, but I haven't done any TED talks yet. Uh, Also, um, I'm planning on starting a podcast at some point. Oh, awesome. Yeah, you'll have to let us know when you're getting that up and going. I think podcasts I sure are what's will. in. <laughs> I mean, well, yeah. actually, I, well, I was going to say, like, kind of YouTube podcast type things. Is that what you're yeah, thinking? That's what I'm going to do. YouTube and Rumble. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Um, yeah, we're going to, we've been working on trying to do some of that as well with NASCA. And if you ever want, would like to have one of your nights that you come on during the, the month, your or even an extra night. Um, if you want to be on Zoom and Facebook Live, we could set that up because I oh, am trying to get that going a little bit more so that, because like I said, I think that's what people are into is being able to see you. Blog Talk is wonderful, and it's been an awesome platform for um, NASCA, and we're not going to leave Blog Talk at all, but um, we're right. trying to figure out how we can do them together so that, we get a little bit more of a reach of people because they are, they're all on YouTube right now. (laughs) There you go. Yeah. I would love to do that with you guys. Okay. Well, uh, I'll let you know by next time I'll talk. I'm going to write it down right now so I don't forget um, because I do that a lot too. So if you don't hear from me, maybe before, you know, next month comes up, um, reach out Uh to me and let me, you know, Reach out to me again and remind me. Just give me a little nudge. <laughs> and um, I sure will. Up, yeah, for your next one. I don't know who's with you yet because I haven't done that schedule. But, um, but right. Yeah, I, I can be on with you and do that. 
I've already been on uh, several podcasts, so and uh, several uh, radio shows, so I can I can definitely that that I see that as an opportunity. So yeah, yeah, I would yeah. be more than happy to. Great. So, um, where Maybe did the kids under the? Oh, you're going to go? Okay. Bye, Philip. Yeah, I have to. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. It was nice talking to you. Oh, sorry, what? <laughs> no, I was wondering what, um, can you tell us in a little bit about Kids Under the Latchkey, what that book is about, and which kind of does tell you, but. Okay, you kind of broke up. Tell you about what? Oh, um, the, your book, The Kids Under the Latchkey. Uh, yes, I can do that. Um, my Kids yeah. Under the Latch Key is a is a first person narrative. Uh, basically, it, it's a book that comes from someone her uh, first person narrative told by a, the the main character Grace, who witnesses bullying of a mentally disabled man in the community. And so Kids Under the Latch Key is about bullying, but from a bystander and friend's percep- uh, perception. Oh, okay. She, she tells about uh, the, the, mental, the mentally disadvantaged guy that was bullied in the neighborhood and what she saw. And uh, it, it's a very heartwarming story. So it, it's it's expressed uh, from the from a from the bystanders' point of view. Oh, okay. I love how you do that. You're kind of trying to get different perspectives on the whole bullying thing because there are so many different perspectives. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. I, I'm trying to tackle bullying from from all angles. Yeah. I think and, a lot uh, of times, uh, and you may agree. Oh, sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off. <laughs> Go ahead. I am. I'm working on several different books un, uh, that are unpublished that I plan to publish. You know, in the future, I'm working on a book about uh, a uh, a bullied girl that uh, that witnesses a car crash and in the middle of nowhere and it's uh, the book's going to be entitled uh a conflict of conscience basically she she witnesses a car wreck in the middle of nowhere and uh she uh well she hears it she doesn't really see it but she hears it and uh anyway she runs towards the where where the noise is coming from and she finds this crumpled up car and uh it's a car full of her bullies so she and these people have given her a hard time so she she has a uh, a conflict of whether to do the right thing and help them or just let them lay there and rot so Wow, <laughs> that's going to be an interesting book. 
Yeah. So how do you come up with these? Are you just, they just come to you and are you been thinking about all of yeah, these the different idea, books? Uh, yeah, ideas just come to me, you know, and I'll, even if I have to get up in the middle of the night, I'll, I'll make notes and write it down. And then when I get up the next day, you know, just kind of write more and, and uh, broaden those notes. Oh, neat. Um, no, I love that. I I can relate so much to it. And we don't talk a whole lot it's about bullying and narcissism. I mean, I think I've brought it up before on, on my shows, but um, I don't think nearly enough because I think a lot of people who have been abused, like I was saying earlier, that'll happen, you know, other places. It's almost like, you know, we we noticed that if somebody was sexually abused and I was at five, and then it just kind of continued throughout my life. And I don't know if it was um, just because I feel I felt I was kind of in that victim mentality or, you know, just, well, probably the circumstances and the fact that I was pretty much programmed to just take abuse. And um, so it happened, you know, more on and on and on and on. And, um, right. Well, you know, I think uh, I think that's exactly why it happened because I, I want you to understand that bullies they can spot a victim a mile away. I mean, they they are very apt at reading people, and they can spot a victim a mile away. Bullies look for victims. They look for People like you, people people like I was, who are insecure and who have already been abused, believe me, they can tell. You don't have to yeah. say a word. They can tell it in your body language, uh, in your facial expressions, in your, de- in your entire demeanor. Bullies have radars yeah. for that kinds of thing. So, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And, you know, just the fact that, I, I think for me, I I never felt good enough. So to try and insert myself into something that um, I thought was above me or which was a lot of it, everything. <laughs> and most kids, you know, I thought of as being better than me. And I, I thought, you know, and because of the abuse was going on, is that is that going on in everybody's home? But I also then know that, and I, this could have come from my being sent to Sunday school and seeing other families. So if you are in, let's say, you know, raised by narcissists like I was, and I was in that all the time, and then I was able to go to kind of a, a neutral place and see how other families maybe lived, even though I wasn't in their uh-huh. homes all, you know, that I knew there was something right. different. There was something better. And I might not have necessarily seen that if I didn't have an opportunity to see that stark contrast. And um, I, you know, always took care of my brother. He was two and a half years younger than me. And he was just my own little baby doll. I was always, you know, taking care of him. And, And other kids weren't necessarily having to take care of their little brothers or sisters. So, you know, what's up with that? How does that work? Yeah, just ask right. some questions and see if there's a difference. 
can help exactly. you get out of that mindset then too. Yeah. Right. Well, I had to work really hard at getting out of that. And I, I finally did. Uh, now I I feel like I'm just as good as the next person, but it took me so many years to get to this point. It took a lot of uh, reprogramming my own mind, and that's not an easy thing to do. No, it's not. It took a lot of reading. It, it just took so many yeah. years. And therapy and yeah, I, I'm well. Now, I don't ever think I'll be done <laughs> learning to appreciate myself more. You know, it's just something that I feel like I'm always going to wonder if I'm. You know, I just always right. have that in the back of my head. I don't know. <laughs> no. I think even the most confident people have their moments. I know I do. You know, I'm, I'm a confident person now. You know, I know my worth. <laughs> you know, I didn't start seeing my worth until I was in my late 30s, you know, early 40s. However, I know my, I'm in my 50s now. I know my worth. But even even the most confident people have their moments. So, you know, you're not going to feel a hundred percent confident a hundred percent of the time. There, there will be days when you feel a little bit less than. Granted, it won't be as as intense as it was when you were insecure. Yeah. But you know, you'll have your moments. But you just have to yeah. talk uh, mentally, talk yourself through it, and say, "Look, this is just the devil lying to me." Right. And let that be that. Yeah. And I know I had, and mentioned a little bit earlier that um, I'm married to a narcissist as well. And I think, you know, in my mind, there were certain specifics of who I was looking for and a husband. I mean, I wasn't overly picky, but they, you know, I wanted definitely somebody who wasn't going to sexually abuse my children and um, and I was just very tuned into that, I think, to the degree that I didn't necessarily keep my eyes open to the manipulation and, you know, the right. everything else that was going on, the gaslighting and that still goes on. Because now that I have started setting boundaries, um, it, nobody likes that. And it's amazing to me that I'm like... Really, you people can say really mean things to me, but when I set a boundary, it's a terrible thing. I mean, it's like I blew up the world or something, and um, yeah, it's quite a, a struggle. <laughs> yeah, again, that's gaslighting. You know, right. people, uh, especially bullies, they hate it when you set boundaries because they have uh-huh. no boundaries. They uh, bullies have right. no boundaries. Yeah. Or, or, or better, let, let me rephrase that. Let me rephrase that because I don't think I said that right. Bullies have no boundaries in what they want to do to you. And yeah. they, they are under the, uh, a lot of bullies feel superior to you. Yeah, yeah. So entitled, because yeah. Exactly, they feel yeah. entitled and you're just supposed to let them 
walk all over you and and smile about it. They actually expect you to have a cheerful attitude and smile about it. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, it's, you know, but you got to understand that a lot of bullies are narcissists. Bullies are not, yep. <laughs> uh, most bullies are narcissists. And, yeah. you know, they feel superior to you, to you. In other words, you're inferior and uh, yeah. you should take, you should just take it and shut your mouth and take it because you're inferior. Yep. That's the mentality of bullies. Yeah. Well, but that's my husband and my daughters, unfortunately. Um, I deal with that. I'm like, I opening. And then when you realize it, you're like, how could somebody that came out of me be like that towards me? You know, it's, it's, it's mind boggling to me, but I know they learned right. from their and, dad. and your daughters treat you like that? Yes, they your do. And kids? they don't ever get reprimanded. No. Nope. Yep. No. Nope. I might, I've tried to ask my husband for many, many, well, that's why we're, we're getting a divorce now, <laughs> but um, we're right in the middle of a divorce. Yeah. I can't. I cannot say anything to my children, well, my two girls anyway. I have a son also. My son's the youngest, but um, we have a, a really good relationship, my son and I, and we've always been able to communicate real good and, you know, get things out that were frustrating me. But um, my girls are now, they both have three kids each, and um, they are holding, they're holding their kids against me. Uh, uh, away from me because I'm, I guess, not doing what they want, and I'm not even sure what that is that they want. And one of them is, one of them is holding against me the abuse that my dad inflicted on me. And I've tried to talk to her about it, and she's like, I don't even want to hear it. I don't want to hear any reasons why you forgave him. I don't want to, you know, because I didn't share that with my children growing up. I didn't tell them all about my abuse. I didn't want them to have that burden of knowing or wondering or, or whatever. But um, now they turn around and they use it against me because they've gotten that, the bullying and the gaslighting and everything completely down from their, their father. And I see it every I, single time. There's also a little smirk that they all three have that I can see. <laughs> That's kind of funny. I am so sorry that happened to you. They are doing that to you. Thing is, well, thing uh, you know, no matter, I know you love them, you know, we all love our children, but at the same time, we still have, you still have to set boundaries. And, uh, you know, sometimes that means going no contact. Yeah. And I hate to say that. I hate to say it because they're your babies. I know. But sometimes and you have to go no contact. To uh, preserve your own mental health. Yeah, and I did. I did that a little bit this last, the past year. I, because um, I left my husband and I was staying with relatives and um, friends and stuff for about a year, and I really wasn't making myself as available to everybody as I had been before that, because they were all my life, and it felt like. At, at one point, my my two daughters are like eight years apart, but then my second daughter and my son are, are only three years apart. And so those two left the house pretty much at the same time. 
And right. I remember just, you know, getting that empty nest feeling too. And what am I going to do? And where am I? And, you know, but um, it went into kind of, well, with my middle daughter, I, we had a, a wonderful relationship up until about, until about a year ago. And, um, and her husband has played a big part of that. But, and I also feel that with my other daughter too. I feel like their husbands have played a big part in them kind of pushing me away. And um, are you sure and it wasn't like their father? That... Oh, well, that's too. Sorry, well, no, I mean him too, but <laughs> yeah, it's him too. But no, I, I feel like they're, uh, uh, yeah. And, and it's, it's a long, it's a long process. I'm not even sure when it's all going to get all worked out, but I feel like when I wasn't in the same house as their father and I wasn't, in the middle of a divorce with him that um, I was able to to put up those boundaries a little bit better when I'm in this mm-hmm. house and, you know, there's a lot more stress of doing things for the family like I've always done. And so I can see kind of the light at the end of the tunnel that, you know, I am not going to continue to let them treat me that way. And when wow. I'm not with their father anymore, then there will be a lot more boundaries, but it does make it hard with the grandkids because I've got an 11-year-old granddaughter and a 12-year-old grandson and um, you know, six-year-old grandson who, well, and the four-year-old too. My daughters had babies a week apart four years ago, almost four years ago. And and so, you know, all of those babies now I've built a, a really close relationship with because that's who, you know, I, I've always been. I wanted to be in their life and teach them and and stuff. And so like the 11 year old girl who's, they only live about a mile away. Um, she'll yes. call me all the time and she's starting to do things that are, are basically marrying what her mom is doing. And I'm like, I'm thinking, you don't have a clue what's coming because my granddaughter at 11 is doing things that my daughter didn't start doing to me till she was in college you know, just right. the, the attitude. And like my da- my granddaughter called me and asked me to pick her up to take her to a, a concert one night. And I was like, okay, fine, I can do that. And I didn't even, uh, I mean, we just have a really, we have a really rocky relationship right now with, with my daughter. And so I don't talk to her a whole lot. And she does have her daughter call me and tell me things or ask me things. And so she asked me to pick her up and I did. And we got to the concert and my daughter shows up. And I was like, why did I pick her up? And she goes, I didn't even know you were picking her up. She just did that on her own. And I went, oh, <laughs> okay. So it's starting already, unfortunately. And it's not that I, you know, I, I don't like to see that. I definitely don't like to see that. I would love to have a different relationship. And I, I wish that I was more aware when I was raising my kids um, to be able to build that, instill in them that we need to talk things out, not necessarily just react and blame and and then get to the point where I I can be in the same room, you know, with, with them over the holidays and um, I do Christmas Eve over here, but I feel like they feel that they are more important than me or more superior or my feelings don't really matter. I don't really talk a whole lot when I'm with my family. I usually play with the kids. Kim, I'm so sorry that's happening to you. (laughs) Oh, thank you. I mean, I'm not saying that just to get sympathy or anything. I'm I'm just saying, I mean, that's a whole dynamic people don't really think about. And I think there's probably even more moms 
in the situation that I'm in that don't necessarily say anything about it. You know, it's just kind of how everything has fallen because I was not, you know, the working parent, but I was here doing all the discipline and, um, and making sure that they would respect their dad, but not getting that in return. And so it shows now that they're adults. And it's kind of right. sad. It is, it's really sad. <laughs> yeah. Right. But um, hopefully it'll get, it'll all even out is what I'm praying for when, when the divorce is final and we're not living in the same house and, and all that stuff. But um, my husband is definitely, he, and he, you can see it in his, it, where he got it from, from his family. I mean, his family never made much effort at all to be a part of our family or to get to know their grandkids. And we're the only ones, he's got a brother and sister, but we're the only ones that had kids. So his parents only have three grandkids and they could never be a part of their, you know, never make it, make time to be a part of their life. And um, I've been married 30, almost 34 years. And um, I've never had a conversation with my husband's, dad yeah we'll say words here and there but never have I had a conversation with that man and a few years ago when I started to realize that I was like oh my gosh I mean I knew long before that but I was just it kind of just really hit me I was like gosh this is yeah it it goes on because people don't they don't want to recognize it they don't think they have anything wrong you know me telling my husband that I'm really unhappy for you know 15 years didn't comprehend with him at all. He just doesn't even know how to comprehend that, <laughs> you right. know, so that and, we can and, work on it. And so, narcissists yeah. can't comprehend it. Not, narcissists yes. can't comprehend it. Yeah. Uh, has he, he hasn't followed you or anything, has he? Oh, because um, a well, lot of narcissists will stay. Yeah. I mean, you say you're going through a divorce. A lot of narcissists yeah. will stalk will stalk you not only that uh they're also the type that uh if they can't control you then they will control how other people see you yeah that he does for sure i could see him yeah i mean there's never been any like i've told him that if you I kept, even the last couple of years i kept saying to him if you really want me for the rest of your life, then you need to change your the way that you talk about me in front of the kids, the way that you treat me in front of the kids. You know, this is an example that you are setting, and I don't like it. And and, and yeah, and then I had a bunch of surgery over COVID. I had three cervical spinal fusion, or not one cervical spinal fusion, two lower back spinal fusions. Within three and a half years, in those first two surgeries, he could not treat me nice. And I was home alone for hours on end. And and I'm just, that was really the the final straw. I thought, you know what, I know he can't be here for me. And I'm still expecting him to. So why am I doing this? And I've got to stop. And I've got to make this call right now that I'm not going to keep trying to get through to this man and get this man to show me any kind of sympathy or you know, affection or anything because it's just not, he's not able to. And, and that's a hard, right. it's hard to get to that point. 
it is. That's really hard. <laughs> exactly. And, and uh, w- which, uh, uh, which uh, you know, I, I want to leave you with this. You know, I want I want to tell you that you you really can't control other people. You can't. You can't control other people, and all the talking in the world is not going to change him because narcissists don't change. I hate to say it, but narcissists don't change. So the only the only person you can change is yourself and how you react to it. And uh, sometimes you have to uh, basically just go go gray rock with a narcissist. Uh, yeah. Going gray rock means that uh, you just no longer care what they do, what they say, good or bad. You just no longer care, and you don't even react to it anymore because a narcissist is looking for a reaction from you. Yeah. And when you when you no longer give a crap, um, you basically take a, a, take the wind out of their sails. Because they want you to react. They want your attention. Yeah. And uh, mm-hmm. they want to hurt you. And when they find out that they're not hurting you anymore, uh, it really takes the wind out of their sails. Yeah. <laughs> Did he ever yeah. physically abuse you? No, he's never been really physical. He used to really get in my face a lot in the younger, you know, in the, the earlier years. I did um, end up, ask, I asked him for a divorce like 15 years ago, and then we ended up getting back together. I ended up coming back. And, of course, you know, within a couple of years, he was back to completely being an asshole again. And, um, and yeah, I told him, I'm like, can't you see? But, it, it, but he can't. I'm, I, I get that now. It's just kind of hard to to deal with that but you know i i guess it's hard for me to understand how they how they can say totally opposite of what they're doing and they're yeah they're not right not being respectful to me i don't yeah you know that's that's understandable and the reason why you can't see it is because you know you don't think like him yeah you don't think like him (laughs) And, uh, you know, one thing that took me a while to really grasp is that not everybody is going to think like you. Not everybody's going to think like me. It took me years to grasp that. But once I grasped it, it's like everything became so clear, you know? Yeah. And, uh, you know... When you finally realize that that these people are just evil, th- then everything and and they they thrive on hurting you. Then then it's it's it, everything becomes clear. Yeah. Well, I think that's especially when I started noticing my girls and what they were doing to me, and he just didn't care. You know, it, it's just well, like you know, he he wants really? to turn them against you. I'm sorry. Yeah. Oh, he's doing a good job. I know. It, it sucks. He's yeah, he's doing a good job. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately, he's not disciplining them because they're doing what he wants them to do. Yeah. 
Nope. His goal and I was right always now, the disciplinary. Right. And his goal right now is to turn as many people against you as humanly possible. And I know that, well, I knew that I had to get away from him, and that's where I was gone for that whole year. Unfortunately, I didn't file right during that time frame. I should have done it a lot sooner than I did. But um, but definitely it's harder not to, at times, react, especially when he catches me off guard, you know. But um, he can go from within minutes saying, oh, I love you, and I don't want this to happen, and I'm going to do anything I can. I'll, you know, fire my lawyer, and I'll go to therapy. And then, you know, right. the next minute say, I never said that. What are, you, what are you talking about? I didn't say that. Yeah, so it's, 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 I think it's just so normal for him. He doesn't even realize that he's doing it. Well, you know, and when I never you said, him. right, and, and what, what, what you're what you're what you're saying is uh, this is what you're describing that's called love bombing uh yeah love bombing <laughs> is a very popular term uh, that's uh you know one of the first things a narcissist will do when when he finds out that you're leaving him or her just depends is yeah. they will love bomb you they will love bomb you and they'll try to, they'll, they'll, and they do that to pull you back in to keep you from leaving them. Because remember, narcissists, they thrive on control. It's not that he loves you. It's that he wants to control you. He, he has to, yeah. and if you're not around, he cannot control you. He's going to have to go out and find somebody else to control so yeah. they try to they try to keep you trapped and try to suck you back in because they want the control. It's all about control. Yeah. It's all about uh, the ability to tell uh, to tell you what to do and and to determine yeah. how you feel about yourself. Well, yeah, it kept me here for a long time, and you know, kept me. Doing what he wanted so me to. When, when is your divorce final? Oh well, of course we're fighting over money because um, we had mediation last Thursday, and he came to the mediation table saying, "I don't want a divorce. I want to get back together." So then my attorney and I had to sit there for an hour and a half waiting for his attorney and him to to do something, and then they came back with just a ridiculous number that was just stupid. Um, and then you went back and forth, and we wasted, yeah, we, we wasted four hours of our attorneys and our mediation time with him going back and forth, and he still wouldn't give right. me anywhere close to what I deserve, you know? And I said to him, I said, you know what? I have an attorney because I know that I would have given in to a lot less, and I deserve more. I mean, exactly. he's been married a long time. He may be talking to people that were married for a few years and they're not having to pay as much. But you know what? We've been married a long time. I've been trying a long time. <laughs> so, right. You know, it's, it's, I, I hope we're supposed to have um, our final hearing February 7th or something. But I guess I don't know how that's all going to go. I don't know. You it, fight for um, everything you're I'm entitled to. Out. 
Right. No, thank you. You know, and I'm, I, I wasn't, I, it wasn't my plan to fight him. That's not what I really want to do. I'd rather just leave quietly. But if he's going to fight me, I'm not going to just lay down like I have done for 35 years. So right. I think, you know, he's seen that, but he's still not giving it. I mean, you know, he still won't. He just won't give in any, to anything. So I guess we got to do it the expensive way, which is just taking away from what we'll have left at the end, you know, because really all, the only thing that we have is the house. And, um, and we've got right. some equity because we've been here for 28 years. But, you know, if we're going to blow it all on, on our attorneys because bite me, it's, and that was, that was one of the other pieces that I've always complained about in our marriage is, is he is financially abusive too because he has to control everything. And he, you know, said, so I got to control it so that I know we don't go bankrupt or something, but then we're $100,000 in debt again. And, and I'm just sitting here going, what the hell is he controlling? Yeah, yeah, it, I could go on and on. <laughs> you know, there's, a, there's 35 years there worth. So <laughs> right. I just keep going. But yeah, I've, I've realized it and I'm not going to accept anything anymore from him because he doesn't know how to do it and and it's obvious. So it's time to move I'm on. So I proud said of I would you. rather be I'd rather be alone than you know, living in this house with him and feeling so alone. That's not a marriage. And when you've That's been complaining right. about it for twenty five years, you know, as well and nothing ever changes, then it's just you know, I think you come to a point in your life where you're like, well, you know what? I may be alone the rest of my life, but at least I'll have some peace and not feel like I'm being gaslit every five seconds, you know? Right. So well, you know you. what? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You know what? You, you would, uh, you'd much rather be alone than to be yeah. with somebody that makes you feel like you're alone. Right. Because, exactly. you know, being alone is actually... For me, being alone has actually been very enjoyable. But being yeah. lonely, be, there's a difference between being alone and being lonely. You can be yeah. with somebody who makes you feel bad and be lonely. That that's that's what lonely is. You're with people who make you feel bad. You can yeah. be lonely and be in a crowd, but being right. alone, you know, loneliness is a, uh, being alone is uh, basically you're by yourself. Sometimes you need that. Yeah. Yeah, and sometimes I need to get out, too, because I am more of an introvert. So <laughs> I kind of pushed myself, and, and since I've been back um, in my house and filing for divorce and everything, I, I took a part-time job, not even really for the money, but most just so that I can get out and not just be stuck in, you know, the divorce all day and, you know, trying to do other I, – I also do classes. I teach classes, too, but um, – that was more of something that I could do for myself that I knew would be consistent. Like two days a week, I'm going to work at the antique, you know, it's a French antique shop and it's beautiful. And so, right. um, yeah, even that is for myself. That's not so that I can give all my money away to, you know, him or my daughters. It, I will spend it on my grandchildren though. <laughs> right. So, yeah. I, I'm getting there. 
Thank you so much for listening to my story tonight. And I, I didn't mean to kind of take over. It happened. Oh, no. I, 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 you know what? I want, if if you need to talk, I, I want to be there. So, oh, you know. Thank you, Sherry. You know, I, you know, I, I'm more than, I was more than happy to lend you my ear and know that I'm very proud of you, that you are making, it sounds like you are making progress and, uh, you know, getting yourself back and finding yourself. And, you know, that, that is admirable. It takes courage to leave an abusive marriage in any abusive, any abusive relationship, whether it's a, it's a dating relationship, a marriage, or even a friendship. It takes courage to do that. And you you have shown such courage that you're willing to okay. finally put yourself first and, uh, and set boundaries. Because if we don't set boundaries, you know, the whole world is going to walk over us. I mean, it's, it's, the world's going to roll us. So boundaries are there to protect you. And I think it's at like 56 it. years old, I have a right to have boundaries. <laughs> oh, That's you, what I you think. absolutely <laughs> do. You absolutely do. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we just have to realize it ourselves. Exactly. And that's, uh, you know, that can be the most difficult part. You know, everybody else around you can recognize and can, you know, realize, can, you know, know that you have boundaries. But at the end of the day, you have to real you have to know that yourself. You have to realize that yourself before you can before things will get better. And I think you you have done that, and uh, I am so so proud of you. Oh, thank you, Sherry. I appreciate that. And I also love your accent. I have family that's really dear to me in Arkansas. And- that's where I went and visited when I was growing up. I went and saw my grandma and grandpa in Arkansas. So I just love that southern accent. <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Oh, well, thank you. Good to have a new one tonight. Yeah. Thank you so You're much. Welcome. You're welcome. And I look forward to, to being on with you again maybe sometime. And, and we'll work on the whole Zoom and Facebook Live next time. So that'll be, that'll be neat. All right. And I'm excited to hear about your I'm excited to hear about you getting all your stuff going. So it sounds like you've got a lot of things in the works and so by next month you'll have even more to tell us, right? <laughs> got lots to tell us. Oh, I look forward to it. Yeah. Well, I do as well. Thank you so much for being on again and I'm so just honored that I was able to, to be on with you tonight. I will tell Annie and Victoria, that you said hi and kind of missed the being on, and maybe we can jump on All together right. next time. <laughs> All right, but right but uh, but I I want to I want to get on with you too, you know, in the future. Okay, because yeah, you know to. I really Absolutely. enjoyed I really enjoyed listening to your story, although you know it, it was heartbreaking. You know, I enjoy you know being there for people and helping people, so. You know, I enjoyed, you know, our little talk, listening to your story, and 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 I enjoyed, you know, encouraging you. So, you know, I'd like to talk to you again sometime. 
I love that. Thank you, Sherry. <laughs> I appreciate You're that. You're very welcome. Well, you have a wonderful evening. And um, like we always say on Blog Talk, if you – there are enough um, – what am I going to say? There are enough adults in this world to watch out for all the children in this world. So if you see something, please say something and help, you know, children stay safe. And thank you for being on, Sherry and Philip, and we'll see you tomorrow night. Have a good night, everyone. Uh, you too. Good night. Good night. Thank you.